Good morning, Pacific Hope Church. What an apt prayer to begin with, that he would show us his glory through the preaching of his word. Let's begin by asking for his blessing on this, the preaching of his word. Father God, we come into your presence this morning. Would you quiet our hearts and our minds, that our attention would be directed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith? Would both the listening and the preaching of your word be acceptable worship to you this morning? In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Last week, we began the book of Malachi. We learned that Malachi is a message from God to his people. We learned very specifically that as this letter unfolds, as this writing unfolds, God is interested in reminding his people of his covenant with them. If we think for just a moment what a covenant is, in our day, the word covenant isn't so often used, but we might have agreements like between a landlord and a tenant, or between a lender and a borrower, or between an employer and an employee. For those of you who have signed one of these contracts, it's unlikely that you read it on a regular basis. In fact, you probably haven't read it at all. You signed it once and you put it in a drawer. If there is a reason that you would go back and reread that contract, it suggests there is a problem. It suggests that one of the two parties needs to revisit the terms and the conditions of that agreement. Last week, we saw an unlikely party beginning this conversation. We saw God's people stepping forward to God and wanting to ask a question about his covenant with them. Gutsy, huh? They stepped forward and they said, but God, how do you love us? And God in his grace and his forbearance answered that question. And we saw five different things as we moved through God's response to his people. He said to his people in not so many words, I rescued you from captivity. I brought you out of bondage. He said, I have faithfully completed my promises to you. I have answered the prayers that you have prayed according to my will. I have chosen you, not because of anything you've done. And I still choose you, and I still use you, even though you're sinful. Isn't that gracious for God to respond that way? But now the tables are going to turn as we move into this next section of text this week. We're going to be picking up at verse 6 of Malachi chapter 1, and we're going to move through the end of the chapter. And in this, God brings out the covenant. And he's going to go through, and as we look at this, he's going to first of all call out what are some of the, the roles of the people laid out in this contract. For those of you who take notes in your bulletin, you'll see that first we're going to go through and we're going to identify who are the roles of the parties involved in this contract, in this covenant? And then we're going to look at their responsibilities. And ultimately, we're going to look at the God who keeps covenant. I'll invite you to stand out of reverence for God's word as we read from verses 6 through the end of this first chapter of the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 1, beginning at verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am father, 
where is my honor? If I am master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now, entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift of your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. My name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what weariness is this? And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to move through this text in a, in a bit of an unusual fashion today. Preaching from a minor prophet reads quite differently than an epistle. And so we're going to kind of make a couple of different passes through this group of verses so that we might understand rightly who our God is and who we are. The purpose of coming together to worship God is not to understand who we are better and our identity. This is not an exercise just in understanding who we are, but more importantly, it's an understanding of who God is. It's him that we're here to worship. So the first thing that we need to do when we come to the reading of his word is understand who he is. And in understanding who he is, we get a right understanding of who we are. So verse six begins to, to lay this out for us. God speaks to us graciously in human terms. He uses human relationships so that we might understand as we read this contract Who's holding up whose end of the bargain? Verse 6 says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Now, this is a remarkable place to start because we just came from the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, more or less, we, we went through and we looked at the structure of submission in human relationships. What were some of those we came across? We came across husbands submitting to their wives. We came across children submitting to their mothers and their fathers. And we came across bondservants submitting to their masters. Little doubt remains in my mind as to whether or not Paul had a little bit of Malachi knowledge, right? Paul probably knew that, and he's giving us a recap of how human relationships are supposed to work. And in this case, God is telling us, look, this is how a human relationship is supposed to work. How should your relationship be with me then? 
He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am father, where is my honor? If I am master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts. So for the note takers, you can do two columns in this first section where we're talking about covenant roles, right? Let's put God on that left-hand side, right? We see God as father. And if God is father, then what are we? Sons, daughters. And we see God then also as master. And if he's master, what does that make us? Servant, slave. Thank you. Servant, slave. I want to unpack these two terms for just a minute because it's really important for us to step towards this, understanding what it is that God wants from us. Remember we talked in Ephesians and we said that it's one thing to, to obey your father when he gives you instruction, and it's another thing to honor your father when he gives an instruction. If a father says to your child, clean your room, and they shuffle down the hallway and you can hear them slamming doors and banging things around, is that honoring? No. Arguably, it might be obedience, but it is not honor. It is not honor. And so when we see God call into mind the fact that he is father in Old Testament terms, this is very important. There's two verses that I want to look at with you where we see God referring to himself as father. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. Notice the position of father in this verse. Isaiah, the prophet says, but now, O Lord... You are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter and we are all the work of your hand. Isn't that remarkable after last week when we got to look at Romans chapter 9 and we got some homework to go and look at Jeremiah chapter 18? God is the potter, we are the clay. Does that remind us yet again of his sovereign election? Does that remind us yet again of his place? It ought to. And so in that verse, we see that the position of father is that of great honor, that of creator. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9, it says, For I am father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. In that passage, if you look at Jeremiah chapter 31, do you know what covenant is mentioned in that chapter? The new covenant. God refers to himself as father. He is worthy of honor. He is worthy of obedient submission as we serve him, as we worship him. Now Christ, thanks be to Christ, he would come and he would offer himself as a sacrifice so that we would have a relationship with God the Father. I found it interesting that in John chapter 6, God, ref God is referred to as Father by Christ more times in that one chapter than we find in the entire Old Testament. The New Testament flips the script and we can come boldly towards Father. But let us never do that flippantly. I've heard people pray, Daddy God, Papa God. Let's refer to him as he rightfully is. He is gracious, heavenly Father. He deserves that place of reverence and respect. That's what God is saying here. He says, if a son honors his father, if I am father then, where's my honor? That's the attitude with which we approach God. Now, a term that's much more often used referring to God in the Old Testament, the, the God of covenant, is that of Lord. He says, if I am master, where is my fear? Keep that word in mind for just a moment. Where is my fear? In Deuteronomy 
chapter 10, we go through and we see over and over, and the people of Israel are told, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. This is a God that requires reverent fear. I told you last week that throughout the, the list of allegations that we'll see against God's people, there are three words that begin with I that God charges them with and reminds them of. The first thing is that they were in their hearts demonstrating ingratitude. They said, how do you love us, right? And the second thing, which we'll begin to look at this week, is the accusation of their irreverence. They don't fear him as they ought. They don't worship him as they ought. And the third I, we don't have to worry about it this week, but just for the note takers, it's we're incapable. We're incapable. And we'll, we'll hint at that today as we see how the covenant is kept by a faithful God through his son, Jesus. But what we see here is the theme of needing to show a fear and a respect and a reverence in order that we would worship God with a right heart. So as we move through these covenant roles, there's another pair of words that we need to get to, and this is really important this morning. Again, in verse 6, rereading it from the beginning, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am father, where is my honor? And if I am master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? Okay, so that little word that's stuck in there between commas, O priests, is super important for us as we continue to move through the book of Malachi together. So that relationship that we have is, he is Lord God. He is Lord of hosts. He is Lord of all. And this letter, this list of accusations is written to the priests. The priests of God. Now, as we think of a call to covenant already, we've got a couple of covenants that ought to be clearly in view to us. First of all, last week we got Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. That reminds us of, of which covenant? The covenant through Abraham, right? And we also saw that the people of Israel had been kicked out of their land because of disobedience. They'd been in Babylonian captivity for 70 years and brought back out, which reminds us of another covenant. Which one? Moses. If you obey, it'll go well for you. You'll stay in the land. They disobeyed. They blew it. But now, as we move into the book of Malachi, there's another covenant that needs to be cleanly in view for us. And that's the, the covenant of Levi, right? The covenant that God made with Aaron. You'll see this if you sneak ahead a page. This is not just my interpretation. This is Malachi telling us. If you look, for example, at Malachi chapter 2, verse 5, the Levitical covenant is explained. It says, my covenant with him, meaning Aaron, was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of what? Fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. And again, we'll find in chapter three, similarly, the question is asked, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So the covenant that we're going to have in view for the remaining weeks as we move through Malachi together is the covenant that God made with Aaron's brother, with Moses' brother Aaron, and the Levites. It gave very specific instructions as to how God's priests were to serve him, okay? Now, you might think this morning, what am I to do with this? Brother Robert let the cat out of the bag this morning earlier during our biblical study of grief, and he took us to 1 Peter 
chapter 2, verse 9, where under the new covenant, those insufficient priests, those priests with a, with a limited lifespan that failed to please God, have been replaced by those of us who through Christ have been made accepted. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. So if you're in Christ today, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are a priest. So when we move through these lists of roles and responsibilities, we know that he's the father. If we're in Christ, we're a son or a daughter. If we are in Christ, we know that he is master and we are slave. If we are in Christ, we know that he is Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts, and we're his priests. So as we move through this, we need to understand today what it is that God wants for us as his priests in order to offer acceptable sacrifice. That's what we're looking at this morning. What is it that delights the heart of God as we bring him glory? How do we do that? Well, what are the roles of priests? What's a priest supposed to do? One of the hard parts of preaching God's word is that we don't always get to pick and choose which parts of it get preached. We, we stand up together here and, and we recognize that this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Does that mean all of it? Like from cover to cover? The whole thing, right? So if we had to turn to the book of Leviticus together, and if you would do that, please, we would find in Leviticus chapter 22 a passage that will require reverence, require fear, and require God's understanding to, understand, to, to explain, to look at together. We can't come to the book of Leviticus and apologize because it's awkward. We can't say, ah, we don't need to know that. We can skip that. We're going we're gonna to have to come head to head with what God wants to teach us as new covenant priests about the principles of how our sacrifice and how our worship ought to honor him. So I'm going to invite you to stand one more time out of reverence for God's perfect word. And I'm going to read for you a fairly lengthy passage. I've asked that the Holy Spirit would help you understand what it is that he wants to teach us from this passage. We'll begin at verse 17 of Leviticus chapter 22. The God of covenants. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and all the people of Israel and say to them, when any one of the house of Israel or of the sojourners in Israel presents a burnt offering as his offering for any of their vows or free will offerings, they will offer it to the Lord. If it is to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or of the sheep or of the goats. You shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock, it will be accepted. It must be perfect. There shall be no blemish in it. Animals blind or disabled or mutilated or having a discharge or an itch or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord or give them to the Lord as a food offering on the altar. You may present a bull or a lamb that has a part too long or too short for a freewill offering, but for a vow offering, it cannot be accepted. Any animal that has its testicles bruised or crushed or torn or cut, you shall not offer to the Lord. You shall not do it within your land. Neither shall you offer as the bread of your God 
any such animals gotten from a foreigner. Since there is a blemish in them, because of their mutilation, they will not be acceptable for you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When an ox or a sheep or a goat is born, it shall remain seven days with its mother. From the eighth day, it shall be acceptable as a food offering to the Lord. But you shall not kill an ox or a sheep and her young in one day. And when you sacrifice a sacrifice of thanksgiving to the Lord, you shall sacrifice so that it may be accepted. It shall be eaten on the same day, and you shall leave none of it until the morning. I am the Lord. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. You shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. This ends the reading of God's holy, eternal, and infallible word. You may be seated. If you would keep your Malachi bookmark in that chapter, because we'll probably come back to it as we move through Malachi chapter 1. This is a tough passage. We're talking about animal sacrifice. What do we understand about this? as new covenant believers? What are we to understand about this as priests of the most high God? Well, first, starting at the bottom of the chapter and moving up, I want to call out something that's really important to to your attention here. Verse 14 of Malachi chapter 1 says this, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. This is an incredibly important principle for us to understand. It says, cursed be the one who has a male and doesn't give it away. The passage that we read through, awkward as it may have been, discussed male reproductive anatomy. This is an important instruction because we're supposed to give the males. I recently had a phone conversation with a brother in Christ who was in the middle of driving his bull over to his neighbor's house. And he explained to me that he was taking the bull over to this neighbor's house because the neighbor would pay him because the bull would go about the business of making, with heifers, baby cows. Fathers, you can explain that to your children when you get home today. But the point is this. The male offering was a source of revenue for the people of Israel at that time. This is an animal that would go about bringing other animals into life. It was a, a source of revenue. It was not giveaway the bum steer, so to speak. It was giving away that which was of value to the one who's giver. That's why it's called the sacrifice. If we give away that which was costs us nothing, it's not a sacrifice. If we put that into the, the context of what we're called to do as servants of the Most High, we offer to the Lord that which ought to be our best. If we put that in context of today being the Lord's day and being Sabbath, how do we treat coming to worship at the Lord's house? Do we screech into the parking lot at the last minute? Do we sit down with a tired sigh because we've already given all of our energy to all of our other activities this weekend? Or is Sunday worship, that something that we fix our eyes on and we prepare our hearts for and we study for so that it would be the the apex of our week? that we would give the best of the Lord. Countless other examples of of what it means to give a sacrifice that is acceptable to the Lord, and that's just one. And we understand that because God asks for that, that male sacrifice, the best of what we have. If we back up for just a moment, we go to verse seven. 
God begins to level with the accusations to his people, and he says, by offering polluted food upon my altar, that's how you profane my name. By offering polluted food on my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Now there's a lot to unpack in these couple of verses, but the one thing that I want us to have in view this morning is that there's a reference to the Lord's table. In the, the old covenant, the Lord's table was an altar, a place where sacrifice was made to the Lord. If we look at what we learned last week with regards to context, we learned that the people of Israel were in captivity for 70 years. Their temple was gone, their altar was gone, there was no priestly sacrifice, and God in his grace allowed pagan kings to release them. The Persian Empire sent them back to Israel. You'll find in Ezra chapter 3 that the altar was rebuilt. Foreign government allowed the people of God to go back and build an altar. Some hundred years later, we find ourselves in the time of Malachi, in the time of this writing, and the people didn't want to take advantage of that altar. It was a burden to them. Can you imagine that for just a minute? Think of how we felt after just a, a few weeks of not being able to come together to the, to the house of the Lord because of a pandemic. What was our response that first Sunday we got to come back, right? Can you imagine what God would have expected from his people after 70 years away? You get to come back. You get to worship. And now it's a burden for you? But to think about that for just one more minute, there's, there's a an amazing thing that I've seen in going through the book of Ezra, I would really encourage you all to read it. And that is that the foreign government, the pagans, the unbelievers permitted God's people to give. They were permitted to give a free will offering for kingdom ministry. Now, without getting too political, if you look at where we're at in today's day and age, we're living in exile. We're living in Babylon. I don't know if you knew that. We are living in a time and a place where for just this period of time, we have a freedom that our government permits us and even encourages us to give to kingdom ministry. Do we do it? Do we do it with the generosity that honors God's heart? The people are now weary of taking their best to God's altar. It's a burden to them. And God reminds them again of, of how his relationship ought to be compared to a human relationship. And he says something very interesting. He says, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? You see, one of the reasons that the Persians allowed the people of Israel to go back to their own homeland is so that they would prosper and have taxes, and give them money. This was not an altruistic thing. This was not a, a love for the people of God. This was an end game for them to receive something in return. The word governor is interesting. For those of you young people doing world history classes, another word would be a satrap. This is particular to the period of time that the Persian Empire was in existence. And so they were sent back to Judea and to various provinces, and they were given a governor. 
And that governor was responsible to collect all the taxes and send them back to the king in Persia. But all of this is a system by which they needed to show honor to receive a reward. Now, if we think about this in terms of our relationship with God, what do we really have to give to God? What do we really have to offer him? He has done it all for us. Twice in this passage, we'll refer to the Lord's table. The Lord's table is the altar where we offer a sacrifice to him in the old covenant, right? Sacrifices are brought to him. The Lord's table now is what he offers to us. What do we bring to the table? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So in this equation, God is reminding us of those human relationships. Hey, things are a give and take, but not so with me. I want from you an offering of thanksgiving. You see, the sacrificial system has been done away with. There is no need for sacrifice, as we read through Hebrews chapter 10 today. There's no more need for a sacrifice to, cause, to give us forgiveness from sins. The sacrifice that we give as new covenant priests is that of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for what you have done for us. All to Jesus. I owe it all to Jesus. And so the response, the, the giving that we do is in response to that. As we move through chapter one of Malachi, we see that the blind animals, the lame animals, the sick in verse nine, those are unacceptable to the Lord. The people got used to, to no longer giving their very best. They gave God's second best, maybe third. And God reprimands that for them. In verse nine, it says, and now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show any favor of you, says the Lord of hosts? What an incredible statement. You wouldn't try to give a little less to the IRS, would you? You wouldn't try to give a little bit less to your employer, would you? Don't do that with me, says the Lord of hosts. He is deserving of everything. He has done everything for us. Amen? He has given us salvation. He has created us. He's our father. He's a merciful master. We move into verse 13. I'm going to go back to the bottom, okay? We're going to track with me. We're going to follow this through. There's a verse here that, verse 13, where God says in some scathing words, he says, but you say, what weariness is this? And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and this you bring as an offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? The, the whole idea here is what has been given to the Lord wasn't through hard work, wasn't through sacrifice, wasn't through caring enough to give God the very best. If you think about the idea of giving an animal sacrifice, Hebrew families would see an animal give birth. Children would wait patiently as a, as a calf would give birth. As you're, you're waiting for that, the children would, would wait to see it. And the whole time, the father would say, you know what, when that is born, that first one that's born, that one's God's. Think about that. The preparation, the anticipation, that one's God's. It's for this reason that we find 
the God-man, in John chapter 2, appearing in the temple, a temple that had been spruced up in the, in the day of Herod. And he came into the, the courtyard, the courtyard of the Gentiles, and he comes, and what does he find there? He finds people selling sacrifices, that which was obtained by violence or was lame or sick or, or sold by a foreigner. It wasn't sacrifices that they'd painstakingly and lovingly raised. And what was Jesus' response? Indignation. Let's look at that together. John chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changer sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and he overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Okay, if the message here today as New Covenant priests is that what we offer ought to be done in fear and reverence, what could possibly give us more fear and reverence than the God-man himself coming into the temple and saying, these sacrifices are unacceptable? Enough. If you're going to give me, give me something done from love. Just a simple analogy. But this week I came home from work and the house was filled with the smell of a, a fresh-baked apple pie. There was still flour on the counter. The ingredients were laid out. And I could see that this pie had been lovingly crafted. Okay? That's a, a little bit different than, oh, you know what? I was on my way home, and I stopped by, and there was a half-price pie at Vaughn's. I'm just going to grab that. Right? I don't want anybody to feel really insecure about the Costco pumpkin, pumpkin pies at Thanksgiving. Bring the Costco. It's great. But if you think about the expression of love that says, I spent time preparing this. I spent time giving the Lord the best. And that ought to be our spirit of worship. That ought to be how we go about preparing ourselves to worship God. It's ultimately him that we're worshiping when we give him our best. The hours spent preparing to lead worship, worship team, that's for the glory of God. Amen? The things that, that are done ought to be done, not as worship express. I'm going to crank something out on the way. Stop by and grab something. No, this is what God wants us to do out of the love for him, preparation, that it would be acceptable worship to him. So we see that the giving that we ought to do ought to be from the best. It ought to be intentionally prepared in advance. And then if you would, go with me to verse 10. Verse 10 of this chapter contain some of the most fear and reverence invoking words that, that I can come across in scripture. Look at what it says. God says, Oh, that there were one among you who had shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. C can we unpack how terrifying that is? Okay, the temple had been destroyed. The people had been taken away from the temple. God in his grace fulfills his promises, restores them, gives them the temple back, and their worship is so mediocre, so disgusting, so unacceptable to God that he says, would somebody please close this place down? 
Can, can you imagine that? That ought to give us great fear. I have a bike ride I do frequently down Palmerado Road in Rancho Bernardo, and there's a church there that was recently sold and converted to a Hindu temple. And the thought, of, the thought of, of seeing that to me at first was, was grievous, thinking this is a place that perhaps had people gathering together to sing to God. This is a, a place that perhaps had gathered together and done Bible studies and looked at God's word. This is a place that perhaps for years saints have cared for one another. And yet as I look at that text, it strikes me that God may have been more delighted that that place was closed down than to accept their lame, unacceptable, hypocritical worship. Can you imagine that? You walk through the, the streets of Germany and you see these beautiful old cathedrals and you see a, a beer sign in the window and they've been converted to bars. Just to think that that could be a relief to God that says, would these people stop coming and pretending like they're worshiping me? This is a social club. This is people biting and devouring. This is anything other than worship. And so God says that with some, such great clarity. He says, and now entreat favor from the Lord that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, how will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were one among you who has shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Those words should give us terror. But praise be to God through Jesus Christ, he makes it possible that he will accept our offerings. 1 Peter chapter 2, just a couple verses before we looked at verse 5 says, you yourselves like living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Praise be to God that through Jesus Christ, our sacrifices could be acceptable. Are our sacrifices going to be perfect? but they should be of the best that we have, thoughtfully and carefully offered to the Lord as worship with a right heart. When we come together, it's him that we seek. He is our father. He is our master. He is our Lord. As we, we move through, and much could be said about this, there's more that we'll talk about as we move through Malachi, looking at the idea of giving and tithing and what belongs to the Lord. But I think this is enough. This, this stings. This is a reminder that we ought to worship the Lord through what we give. But the third point in your bulletin is the good news of all of this, okay? This is the, the exuberant news that God keeps covenant. If, if he were to sit down with us and he were to replay all of these covenants, the covenant with Abraham and with Moses and with David and with Levi, do God's people keep up their end of the deal? Absolutely not. Time and time again, they failed. And it's precisely because of that that our God reminds us and shows us that he is a covenant-keeping God. This book is the last book before 400 years of silence. During those 400 years of silence, God worked behind the scenes to prepare the hearts of his people to receive the promised one, to receive Messiah, and so this book is replete with promises pointing ahead to him who would come. I want to call out a couple of these for you. First of all, if you would, look at verse 11. 
We just get done with this scathing statement, please just shut the doors of the temple. Your worship is unacceptable. And then he says, but guess what? Verse 11, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. Do you know that that promise is fulfilled? That promise is fulfilled in an already sense and in a not yet sense. The partial completion we see because it says from the rising of the sun to its setting. Think for just a minute about today's daylight savings time, okay? I learned that there's 24 time zones on the planet. Do you know how early Christians started praising the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this morning? Hours before you got up. And you know what? When you're already asleep, they'll still be finishing up Sunday worship. Isn't that crazy? To think of it, God promised us in advance that the gospel would spread globally, that those remnant people would no longer just be from one tribe or another, but they would be from every tribe and nation. And we see that perfectly fulfilled. From the rising of the sun to its setting, his name will be great. And if you don't see that now, there's more coming. When we get to the book of Revelation, we see that people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation will give praise to this one whose name is great, who deserves all of our honor and all of our fear. That promise has been fulfilled. We also see in 1 Peter 2.5 that our spiritual sacrifices are made acceptable. With his stern reprimand that, that sacrifice must be acceptable, it's been made acceptable through the great high priest that we read about in Hebrews chapter 7. That great high priest presented one offering, once and done. Once and done, he laid himself down on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood, the firstborn, the firstborn male, that which had been prepared. Think about that for a second. If we talk about sacrifices that we prepared and, and we see an animal give birth and we give away its firstborn, Christ had been prepared from eternity past. That plan was God's plan before he even made creation. He was going to send his only son, an acceptable sacrifice, an eternal priest, so that all of our worship would be to him. And there's, there's one last thing I want to call out today. I, I've just been amazed at the richness of God's scripture and how this all comes together. You see, the whole purpose of God's people being taken into captivity and then let go again was to show his faithfulness, to show his glory, to show his greatness. And you know, as God would have it, the people of Israel learned a great deal during their time of captivity. We learned that they put some things in writing. They also understood rightly who their God is. If you would turn briefly with me to the book of Ezra, chapter 7, we see God's faithfulness in working through a pagan king. And this pagan king, God put it on his heart to let the people go back and to resume worship of Yahweh. And like I mentioned, they had their governors, and their governors would, would give money to the king. And here's how the king refers to himself. I'm going to begin at verse 11 of Ezra chapter 7, if you found this. I still hear pages, so I'll give you a minute. Ezra chapter 7, beginning at verse 11, says, This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, 
a man learned in the matters of the commandments of the Lord, his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, to the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that anyone of the people of Israel or the priests or the Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are to be sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. What we see here is benevolence with God working behind the scenes, and we see a term that the Persian king would use to refer to himself. He refers to himself pridefully and erroneously as king of kings. And you know, the the people of, of Judah would hear that, and that surely must have chafed their ears to think that they were under a king other than their king. The final verse of this chapter one, God declares with no uncertainty. Look at it with me. Malachi chapter one, verse 14. He sets the record straight. Let no mistake about it. Artaxerxes, no other king is king of kings. He says, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Any misconceptions that the people of Israel would have had about who God was, about his role in theirs, God clears up. He acts and speaks for his name's sake. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, for my name will be feared among the nations. So let us be encouraged and reminded this morning as we are rightfully put in our place by a covenant-keeping God. He's Father, we're sons. He's master. We're servants. He's our God. We are his priests. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Anything that we offer to him ought to be our best. It ought to be given thoughtfully and lovingly. And it ought to be done knowing that it's only accepted because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thankful, we're thankful to you, Lord God, that you are a God of covenants. You are a God who keeps covenant from one generation to the next. God, while our shortcomings individually and collectively might be many, Lord God, would you forgive us through the blood of your son, Jesus? Lord, would you continue to use your word to shine a, a light into our hearts that you would refine us like the sons of Levi, that you would purify us and that you would allow us to give you acts of worship that show that you are set apart, that show that you are holy and that give you glory. Father God, would you prepare our hearts now as we are mindful that that all of these covenants point to the one that you made through your son, Jesus Christ, that new covenant full of its promises that you are faithful to keep, that shows your election, which you sovereignly showed from eternity past. We thank you and we praise you. You alone are worthy of our worship. In the matchless name of your son, Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we pray. Amen. May God bless you.